The passage this morning is Matthew chapter 13. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. This is God's word, it's true, and it's given out of his love. You may be seated. Hey, Messi O'Day, so glad to be here today. Uh, yeah, what Colbert said is true. I do teach preaching at Denver Seminary, uh, and that always puts a little pressure on, especially when somebody gives you an introduction like that, that you better come through and deliver the goods, otherwise you're going to get graded D or F. Uh, but what I really like to tell people is not only do I teach preaching, but actually my main area of specialization is church history. Now, uh, history is really boring sometimes, and so you're thinking, well, you know, if he teaches church history and he does good, hey, that's a good thing then, you know. So uh, I'll just uh, vouch here that uh, we're going to go to the church history end today as we, we look at uh, God's Word, and hopefully this will all work out. Um, I'm a former church planter. Uh, some friends of mine and I planted a church in Littleton a little bit over 10 years ago, and so I know what it's like to uh, be in a school and set up and everything, and I really want to affirm all of you here today for what you're doing here. Uh, my wife Melanie came with me today and she's certainly the better half of uh, our marriage and uh, we were driving down here today and we come down to Colorado Springs periodically but we have not been out in this direction and it's just amazing as you drive down here because it looks like the whole city is coming your way so we are excited to be here with you and I think you guys just have a great 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 future here at Missio Day going forward. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get going on the message this morning. So let's bow together in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have, by your grace, to just gather together today as a church to worship you. Lord, I thank you for every person that's here today, and Lord, uh, you know, in a really personal way, where we are all at as we walk through these doors. Lord, you know what's on our hearts and what's on our minds. And so, Lord, I just pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would minister to us today. Continue to keep your hand on us and on this church. And Lord, now as we look into your Scripture, I just pray that you would enlighten our minds. And by your grace, you touch our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for our sake. Amen. Not too long ago, I was reminiscing about uh, one of the best days of my life, and uh, it, of course, involved my wife, Melanie. Uh, we had been dating for about a year or so, and we finally decided to get married, and I wanted to do it right. And so I made this reservation at this really nice restaurant out in East Denver, and then I went shopping for the ring. And I remember really, really well the day that uh, I picked up her engagement ring and the wedding band from the jeweler in downtown Denver. Uh, Stephanie was the sales assistant, and uh, she put the ring in this really, really nice box, and uh, after I paid the bill, 
I was pretty emotional about the whole experience. And she walked me to the front door of the store and she kind of gave me a hug and said, congratulations, I, I hope it all goes really well. And I was a little bit paranoid. And so uh, this is downtown Denver. And so I, I, I took the ring and I put it in my pocket and I really, really quickly walked to the car because I thought, I, whatever happens, I don't want anybody to rob me of this ring. And then believe it or not, and I realize this reflects that I'm pretty nerdy and geeky, but I, I put the ring on the passenger seat and I seat belted it in. And, uh, and I drove about 20 miles all the way home because I wanted to make sure that it got there safely and that we could eventually go out to dinner and that I could propose to my potential bride and put the ring on her finger. That was one of the greatest days of my life. And I'm so thankful that I got to experience that. And you know what I think? I think that every person in this room this morning can remember days and times that were just absolutely fantastic for you. I mean, when you think about it, it, it does nothing but put joy in your heart and bring a, bring a smile to your face. Uh, maybe, maybe for you. It was the, kind of the same day as it was for me. That, that day you walked down the aisle in church and you got to stand next to your bride or your groom and, and it was just like the best thing that ever happened to you. Or maybe for some of you in here, in fact, a lot of you in here, it was a birthday. It was the day that you were in the hospital and that, that new little baby boy or that new little baby girl was born and you just looked into their eyes and you said, this is the most beautiful creature I have ever seen. This has got to be one of the best days of my life. Or maybe for a few of you here, you remember the day that you stood in front of a church, or, or maybe if it was a church plant like this, you, you, you got a, a big hot tub and you got baptized and you confessed your willingness to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior every day the rest of your life. See, I think all of us in this room today have had special times and special days in our lives, and, and when we think about those, it brings a smile to our face. But you know this, and so do I. You get this, just like I get it. There's, there's a flip side to that as well. There are also days and times that come along in our lives that, that we can't forget. We'd like to forget them, but maybe we can't forget them because they bring about pain. They bring about loss. I'm dating myself a little bit, and a few of you in here might remember this, but I remember when I was a little kid... I remember that day really, really well. It's tattooed in my brain. It was November 22nd, 1963, and I was standing in line to play tetherball at Dow Elementary School. And it was a really bright, clear day, and the, the sky was completely blue, and the sun was shining. It was a little bit cold, and then our gym teacher walked by, and he said, you kids all need to go into your rooms because President Kennedy has been shot. Now, more of you in this room remember that day back in January 1986, and I remember that day really, really well. I was at home, and I had the TV on, and it showed the space shuttle Challenger going up into the air, and we thought it was going to be great. And then something tragic happened, and it blew up, and all those men and women were killed, and it was a tragedy. And almost everybody in this room can remember exactly where you were on that day on September 11th, 2001. I remember exactly where I was. I was, I was driving in my car 
on this, this street near the old campus of Denver Seminary, and I had the radio on. And I remember it so clearly. It said that a plane had flown into one of the World Trade Centers in New York City, and I had no idea when I first heard that, but just like you, we realized that day was a day filled with tragedy and grief and loss, and it changed our lives forever. You know, as you and I walk through life, we're going to have to navigate some really tough days. But fortunately, by the grace of God, there are also going to be some really, really good days that come our way. And the fact that there are tough days and good days, well, that, that's just the way life is in the world we live in. So what I'd like to suggest this morning is, if we're going to navigate our lives through the good times and the not-so-good times in a way that blesses our lives and blesses our families and blesses our, our workplaces and blesses our churches and our communities... We need to make sure that our lives are grounded in some things that don't just ebb and flow with the ups and downs of life. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is have us rewind in our minds and do a little time travel through history back to a really, really, really significant day in the life of ancient Israel and in the life of a man by the name of Isaiah. Because this time and this day and this experience Isaiah had shows us the foundation that you and I, all of us here, whether we're 11 years old or 31 years old or 61 years old or older, it shows us the foundation that we all want to build our lives on. That day came in the year 740 B.C., Outwardly, it was a really, really good time in Israel's history. I mean, the economy is strong. The stock market was up. Housing construction was going gangbusters like it is here in Colorado Springs. Uh, people in Israel had not heard the word recession for years and years. Businesses were expanding. Personal incomes were rising. Militarily, they were at one of the peaks in their national history. It was a time of peace. It was a time of prosperity. But spiritually, there were some question marks. There was an apathetic spirit on the part of much of the population about what really mattered in life and what mattered to God. Oh, attendance at temple worship was up, but materialism had gripped the hearts of a lot of people in the nation. And concern for the poor and the dispossessed and the oppressed, something that's always, always close to the heart of God, was way, way, way down on the list of national and personal priorities. Well, Isaiah was one of the court prophets. And on certain days, he was scheduled to go into the temple and carry out his religious duties and occasionally even preach. Uh, but on this day and this time in Israel's history, he was sitting at breakfast and he was sipping his coffee and he was nibbling on his bagel. And suddenly, the headline of the front page of the Jerusalem Times screamed back at him in bold black letters, King Uzziah has died. And Isaiah was in complete shock. I mean, he didn't even know that the king was sick, but now he reads that he's dead. For 52 years, 52 years, that's over five decades long. Uh, 
Uzziah had sat on the throne directing the affairs of Israel. And it was a time of peace, expansion, and prosperity. But now suddenly in this moment, he is gone. And what seemed so stable for so long had been turned upside down. And I'm wondering, just wondering a little bit, but I'm guessing that Isaiah probably began to think, who's going to take over the kingdom now? What will the new ruler be like? How will he impact my family, my life, my career, my future? I think all of us in here, we, we can identify with that a little bit, at least in our own way. Because sometimes that's the way life goes. I mean, you get a new car, you pay it off, you're driving down the road, and somebody runs a stoplight and hits you, and it gets wrecked. Or, I know most of you in here are young and you're healthy, but trust me, the, the day may come when you're feeling really, really good, but then you wake up one morning and you've got a pain, and before you know it, you're in the hospital flat on your back, and it's not a good situation. Some of you in here can really identify with this. You come home from a good day at work, and you turn on the TV, and all of a sudden, though, you hear about an economic crisis that might cost you your job and directly impact your living. Friends, none of us in here know what the future's going to bring. But I think we all learn as we walk through life that the future's always going to bring some unexpected challenges. It's going to bring some unanticipated changes. And that's why we need to learn what Isaiah learned on that oh-so-significant day in his life when he entered the temple in Jerusalem. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 to get us started and see what this says. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Well, seraphs were in attendance above him, and each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Oh, Isaiah walks into the temple on this, this day, and he probably walked in there in fear, maybe with anxiety, certainly almost with some sorrow on his heart because of Uzziah's unexpected death. And he walks into the temple, and his world gets rocked. But he, because he encounters God in what we call a theophany. Now, a theophany is an expression that we use when God accommodates himself in some special way or another to reveal who he is and what he's like. And what I want us to do is notice the language that's used here to describe this theophany. Uh, the writer says that the hem of God's robe fills the temple. I mean, a hem is just a tiny, tiny little piece of a garment, and yet it fills the entire temple. 
And the writer goes on and talks about the seraphs, these majestic and fearsome angelic creatures who surround the Lord. And they promote his glory. And then we're told that the the thresholds of the temple, the foundation of the temple, shakes as the seraphs proclaim God's glory. A glory that goes way beyond the temple. A glory that goes on to fill, as, as the writer says, the whole earth. Isaiah walks into this temple on this day when everybody's sad and everybody's afraid. And what he does is he encounters the glory of the sovereign and majestic God of the universe. And friends, I think it's incredibly important for us to understand that when we speak of God being sovereign, we mean that he is all-powerful. It means that he rules and reigns over the entire universe. He rules and reigns particularly over planet Earth. He rules and reigns literally over every single detail of your life and mine. Uh, Some of you in here are probably golf fans. And a few of you may remember that back in the 1960s and especially in the 1970s, there was a really prominent golfer on the PGA circuit by the name of Lee Trevino. I mean, he was an absolutely great golfer. Well, on one occasion, he was in a tournament, and he was out on the course, and there was this huge thunderstorm that came through. And, and you know this, and I know this. We're always told that when a big thunderstorm comes through, the last thing you want to do is be out on a golf course. Well, he just kept on playing, and the thunderstorm came through, and he was struck by lightning. Fortunately, he wasn't killed, but he was in the hospital for about four or five months. And after he got out of the hospital, after convalescing, uh, Johnny Carson had him on The Tonight Show. And so there's Trevino sitting next to Carson on The Tonight Show, and they're kind of going back and forth. And finally, Carson asked him, he says, well, Lee, uh, tell tell us what you learned from getting hit by lightning out on the golf course. And Trevino kind of chuckled to himself, and he says, well, what I learned, Johnny, is, is that when the Almighty wants to play through... You let him play through. That's sovereignty. That God is all-powerful and he does whatever he wants, when he wants, with whom he wants. Now, friends, I've been a pastor long enough in my life to know that every single one of us came into this room this morning. And we have things, very important things, on our hearts, and on our minds. For some of us, it's how are we going to move ahead in our jobs and our careers? Things look really, really bright. But that's important to us. For those of us in here who are parents, we're really concerned that our kids are doing well and that they're moving ahead in life because our kids are near and dear to our hearts. I'm sure that there are some people in here who are concerned about health issues, either their own health or somebody they really love, they really care about. Their health is not good, and that's on your heart and on your mind. And I want to validate all those things. All of those things are really legitimate, and they are very, very important, and they demand our time and our energy and our attention. But I'd like to suggest that the best thing we can do, the most important thing we can do, the foundational thing that any of us in this room can do today, is to encounter the sovereign 
and majestic God and gain a little bit of a glimpse of his glory. See, we need to know and see and realize that regardless of what happens in the days and the weeks to come, the sovereign God holds our future and the future of our loved ones in his hands. And the reason we need to see that is because how we see God, how we perceive who he is, that is the most important thing about every single one of us. How we think about God influences everything we do. It influences how we see and interact with other people. It influences how we see and manage our money and our possessions. It influences the way we see sex and sexuality. It influences how we work and we serve at our jobs. And it really influences how we see our communities, our city, and literally the world that we inhabit. So let me ask you this this morning. And you have to answer it. I I can't answer it for you. I can only answer it for me. But let me ask you, when you think about God, when you see God, how do you view him? Is he an old man with a long beard standing at the rail of heaven, shaking his finger at you saying, no, 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 you, you can't do that. Or maybe he's, in your mind, a passive laid back guy, kind of sitting in a lazy boy telling you to just take it easy because there's nothing in life worth getting too worked up about. Or maybe, maybe the way you see God is, God is a taskmaster. And he's saying, you got to get it done. you got to get it done now, and you got to get it done in a perfect way. Lest you'll get sent to your room. Or do you, do you, do you, in some way or another... When you see God, you see him the way Isaiah did on this oh-so-significant day. When he saw God as this majestic, sovereign being who held him and Israel in his hands. Friends, that's why I'd like to suggest that throughout 2017, every week this year, every month this year, and in the years to come, We regularly read the scriptures, which is God's revelation of himself to us. And we regularly pray to our God on a consistent basis. And that we gather together in corporate worship because it's such a priority. See, because as we read the scriptures and as we pray and as we gather together in corporate worship, we will come to a better and deeper understanding of the majestic glory and the sovereignty of our Heavenly Father. And that will lay the foundation for our lives as we move ahead. See, on that day, that oh-so-significant day when Isaiah walked into the temple, that's what happened. And there were some surprises that came with that. The first of these comes in verse 5. Let's look and see what happened. As Isaiah encounters the majestic and glorious God, he says, I said, woe is me, I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now in the Hebrew mind and in the way they saw life, uh, the lips served as a metaphor for a person's heart, for a person's will. Now, what Isaiah is communicating here is he, he sees God as he says, my, my heart's impure and my will is sinfully stubborn. And so it's just like all the people around me. 
as he encounters the sovereign God, it wrecks him. And the reason it wrecks him is because as he sees God, he sees himself, and as he sees himself, he sees his sin. And that's why he says here, I'm lost. I'm broken. I'm ruined. So once again, friends, let, let me ask you a question. When you encounter God and when you see your own sin, when you come face to face with that, how do you respond? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to be really honest with you here today. I'm really, really good at excusing and rationalizing and hiding my sin. I'm really good at that. A number of years ago, uh, I had an aunt, and uh, her name was Bernadine. And uh, before she passed, uh, we called her Aunt Bernie for short. And uh, when she was alive, uh, my sister Becky and her son Mike, who's my nephew, well, the three of us were always over at Aunt Bernie's house because, as my sister once said, Bernie's house is kind of a base of operations for us. Well, one day my aunt went out and she bought this really, really nice, brand new, flower-covered sofa. And, and I don't know what it cost, but I think the price tag said really, really expensive. And uh, when it was delivered to the house, she put it down in the family room And she got my nephew, Mike, who was about 10 at the time, and I'll never forget this, she sat him down on the sofa and she said, be careful to never bring food or drinks around this new sofa. You can look at the sofa, you can touch the sofa, Michael, and if you're in your Sunday best, you can probably sit on it. But don't you ever, ever bring food or drink even close by the sofa. Now, do you all remember that story in Genesis chapter 2, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 3, where it talks about the forbidden tree in the Garden of Eden? Well, I kind of think that that's how my aunt viewed herself. It was kind of like this. On every other chair in the house, you may eat and drink, but on this flower-colored sofa, you may not eat or drink or spill, for in the day that you do, that day you shall surely die. (laughs) And then... That day came, the fall arrived. Uh, One day, my nephew Mike and his best friend Stuart were over the house, and and they were playing, and I remember this really well. And all of a sudden, a dark spot of what appeared to be chocolate appeared on Aunt Bernie's brand new sofa. So Bernie lined up Mike and Stuart in front of the sofa, and she said, do you boys see that? That's a chocolate stain. It's probably not coming out. Not forever. Do you know how long forever is? That's how long you're going to be consigned to the outer darkness of the basement until the one of you tells me who spilled the chocolate on the sofa. Well, Mike started to giggle a little bit, and then he blamed Stuart. And like 10-year-old boys do, Stuart started to giggle, and then he blamed Mike. And then Aunt Bernie got really mad at him. And she yelled at them both. And there was silence because you didn't want my aunt to get mad at you. But I knew that neither of them were going to admit to spilling the chocolate on the sofa. And the reason I knew they weren't going to admit to it is because I knew they hadn't spilled the chocolate on the sofa. The reason I knew it was because I was the one who spilled the chocolate on the sofa. And I wasn't going to say a thing about it, at least not for over 20 years later until I preached at a church in Falcon, Colorado. (laughs) Friends, here's the truth. 
We've all spilled chocolate on the sofa. As the Apostle Paul said in the great book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 23, we've all sinned. We've all come way short of the glory of God. And that's why it's our natural tendency to rationalize our sin or or hide our sin or excuse our sin. We, We don't want to see the ugly side of the way sin impacts our life. But what this text shows us here in Isaiah chapter 6 is if we're willing to encounter the glory of the sovereign and majestic God, not only do we see our sin, but an even greater and far better surprise awaits us. Look at what happens in verses 6 and 7. Isaiah says, Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. And the seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now this has touched your lips. Your guilt has departed. And your sin is blotted out. Uh, The live coal that's spoken of here in this text was taken from the altar. And it's an Old Testament picture of the blood sacrifice that was required in the law of God to pay for the sins of men and women and children. What Isaiah says is the seraph grabs that coal and it touches his lips, providing this wonderful picture of God's atoning work over his fallen heart and his stubborn will. His sin is blotted out. The stain is gone. The guilt's removed. A lot of scholars look at this particular episode in this situation and they say this is a foreshadowing of what Jesus did when he died on the cross, where he atoned for all our sins. And what the Bible does is the Bible generally calls the work of God here grace. Because God did for Isaiah what he could never, ever do for himself. And that was be rescued from his sin. Now, you all remember that episode that happened back in August of 2010 when those 33 miners were trapped 2,000 feet underground down there in Chile. There was a terrible accident, and there was no way, no way under heaven they were getting out of there on their own. They were trapped deep down in darkness in a tomb of very slow and painful death. But then the international community gathered together along with the Chilean government, and they came to their aid. And for 69 straight days, they focused enormous amounts of time and energy on rescuing them, those men, and eventually they got all 33 of them out alive. See, the international community and the Chilean government and all the people that helped there, they did for those 33 miners what they could never do for themselves They got them out of there, and that is called grace. That's called grace. Now, once again, I'm a a pastor and a professor, but I'm I'm an A1 sinner. And my guess is this, since I know myself pretty well, and I know my heart, and I've been in church world now for a long, long time, my guess is, is that there were probably some sins that were committed this past week by some people sitting in this room. And you know what? In the next week, maybe in the next year, some people in this room will probably commit some other sins. And the reason why we do that is because we're fallen creatures. 
We have poisoned blood in our veins, which we inherited from our ancestors, Adam and Eve. And friends, the reality is, there is absolutely no way we can clean ourselves up from that or rescue ourselves from that. But what Isaiah's experience tells us here is that God's grace is big enough, huge enough, awesome enough to remove the stain of any and every sin that we've ever committed or that we ever will. And so what we need to do is just encounter this sovereign God and let his glorious grace just wash over us just like it washed over Isaiah. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I think you all just finished a series at this church on 1 John. And one of the key verses in that entire book, and you know this, is chapter 1, verse 9, where it says this, if we confess our sins, he, that is Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, that's the good news of the gospel. We need to rejoice in that. I love that, and you love that, and sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we want to stop right there. But what I want us to know this morning is, that's not all of the good news of the gospel, because the Lord has another surprise in store for us that's hugely important, just as Isaiah discovered. Let's look together at verse 8 of this text. Isaiah says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. Oh, Isaiah walks into the temple on this incredibly significant day and he he encounters the sovereign and glorious God. And when he sees himself in light of that, he sees his sin, but then he experiences the surprisingly sweet and transformative grace of God. And as he encounters the grace of God, it touches his heart and it changes his mind. And it makes him really, really, really receptive to God's plans and God's purposes. And so when God now raises the question of who's going to go out on behalf of him to minister to the people of Israel, to minister for spiritual renewal, Isaiah steps right to the front of the line and he says, Lord, here am I. Send me. I want to go. And this is where he begins his ministry as a prophet to the nation. See, his experience on that day, friends, shows us that when we have a genuine encounter with a sovereign God, and we experience the sweet surprise of his grace, it will, in time, always, always, always move us towards ministry. See, what we begin to realize when we encounter this huge God, and we experience his grace... We begin to realize that he's got big plans, he's got big purposes, and that all revolves around what we call here the missio dei, the mission of God to redeem the entire planet. And the reason he wants to do that is because his heart is always one of ministry to the lost, the broken, and the needy of this world, whether it's in Falcon, Colorado, or someplace else on the planet. A number of years ago, Melanie and I went on vacation to Washington, D.C., and uh, when we were there, we were having a really, really, really great time, and one of the places that she found was called the museum, or the museum, and we had never been there before, and it's just this great museum. It's all about journalism, 
and you go in and they have a Berlin Wall ex, uh, exhibit and then they have a 9-11 exhibit. And they have this really great exhibit about Sports Illustrated. It's just a tremendous museum and we we're just having a great time. And then we went down to the Pulitzer Prize winning picture exhibit and we were going through and some of those pictures are really cool and some of them are really heartbreaking. And we came upon this picture that was taken in Africa in 1994 by a guy named Kevin Carter. And as you can see, it's, it's a picture of this little, little girl and she's starving to death. And there's a vulture in the background just waiting to devour her. And Melanie saw the picture first and she broke down crying and I came over later and I got pretty choked up and she said to me, why, why does God allow stuff like this to happen? Why does God let this happen? And she's crying and I'm pretty choked up and I told her, I said, I, 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 I don't know why God lets this happen, but I, but I do know this. This is one of the reasons why God has raised up organizations like Compassion International here in Colorado Springs and why God calls us in the name of Jesus to feed the poor. And Melanie said to me, well, when we get home, we need to adopt some more kids with compassion. And I said, honey, honey, we can't feed them all. And she said, no, but we can feed a couple of more. And she was absolutely right. See, friends, when we encounter the sovereign God and we're touched by his grace, it always moves us towards ministry. Now, I have no idea what the Lord has called you to. But I suspect the Lord's called some of you here at this church to work with kids. And eventually this church, and I know this because I've been a church planner and I'm a pastor, this church is going to need a ministry to teens. Some of you might be called to that. We need people to always work in worship. And yet I'm sure that the Lord's calling some of you, if not all of you, to minister outside the walls of Missio Dei Falcon, here in Falcon or here in El Paso County, maybe even overseas. What we need to realize is that regardless of who we are, where we live, regardless of our social standing or our income or the size of our family, when we encounter the glory of the sovereign God and when we're touched by the sweet surprise of his grace, our hearts will align with his heart and it always, always, always will move us towards ministry. Now, I know enough about your church because of my relationship with Colbert and with Perry to know that this church is filled with incredibly gifted and committed and talented people. And I'm confident that as this church gathers together every week, it is growing in its worship and it's encountering the glorious and sovereign God who graciously has given us his salvation in Jesus. And based on that, I know that this church and every person in it is then called to grab that grace and go and give it to other people. You know, earlier we had a scripture reading out of Matthew 13. And it's a parable that Jesus told. And I think it's one of the most fascinating and powerful stories he told in his ministry. In fact, I think that the parable that we read earlier, I think it's a fitting parable for all of us as we enter into the spring and the summer of 2017 with all the upcoming changes and all the challenges that are going to come our way in our communities, in our cities, in our country, in the world. 
Because I think what Jesus is doing in this parable is he's talking to people like you and me, his disciples, and he's saying, here's what I want you to realize as the future unfolds and as history progresses, and here's what I want you to get as to what your responsibility is. So let me reread the parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, the enemy came. And he sowed weeds among the wheat, and he went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. And the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. And the servants asked him, Do you want us to go and then pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may pull up the wheat with them as well. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. I think in this story, Jesus is describing What's happening right now on March 19th, 2017, and what's going to take place in the rest of this year, and as I said, literally throughout the rest of human history. Based on what Jesus is saying in this story, let there be no doubt, weeds and wheat are growing together side by side in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our communities, our country, and literally in every nation around the world. But what I want us to get out of this parable is what Jesus wanted us as his followers to get. And that you and I are not to be concerned about pulling up the weeds. No, he'll take care of that. He says he'll take care of that at the end of the age. Instead, what he wants you and me to do is go and grow some wheat. Go and plant some seeds of grace and grow some wheat. Because that's what he's doing. And he wants to use you and me to do the same thing. See, friends, as followers of Jesus in the year 2017 and beyond, we get to choose. We get to choose how we're going to spend our time and our talents and our treasures. Are we going to give our lives over to whacking weeds? Or will we hear the sweet voice of the Holy Spirit and grab his grace and then go and give it to others and grow some wheat? Are we going to waste our time and our energy and our resources chasing the fleeting things of the world? Or are we going to encounter the sovereign and gracious God and grab his grace and then go and give it to people who really, really, really want it and need it? Which is it going to be? Well, I don't know about you. But as for me and my house, we're going to do the very best we can by the grace of God to grab some of that glorious God's grace and go and grow some wheat. One of the things we do here at Missio Day is we do discussion groups at the tables. So we're going to have some questions here. If you're visiting here with us, don't feel any obligation to engage, but if you're a regular, we're going to ask you to pick up the tables. Uh, here's what we want you to chat about. What was one of the most significant days of your life? Why, why that day? Was God present with you in some special way on that day? And then as we think about ministry in light of God's grace, what do you think the Lord might be calling you, you to do in light of your talents, your time, your treasure?